Hi, welcome to the Written by Rich Hosick podcast. Let me tell you a story. A story about a woman at the intersection of loss and fear, placed in a very uncomfortable situation. But aren't those the moments where we experience the most growth, discover inner strengths, and perhaps unexpected rewards? The question writers get a lot is, where do you get your ideas? This particular story was inspired by a friend who told me she wanted to have a garage sale, but didn't want to deal with all the people who would come to it. I thought that was an amusing conundrum, and wondered if it could be an entertaining story. I had another idea from a story I started but never finished about a mysterious box, and decided I could unload that abandoned notion at my friend's garage sale. At that point, the story, as they say, wrote itself. Well, not really. I had to do the typing. And now, all you have to do is the listening. Enjoy. Everything must go. I hate garage sales. Nancy said as she watched the slow-moving parade of bargain hunters wind their way through the maze of folding tables that displayed the various items that had been cluttering the house since her father had died. Why? her friend Barb asked. I think it's a great way to have other people pay to take away their junk. Yes, that part's nice. I just don't like all these strange people around. Well, honey, you only have to put up with them for the weekend, Barb replied in her deep, raspy smoker's voice. I know, Nancy replied. Are you sure you can't stay and help me out? I'll give you 50% off anything you want. No, thanks, darling. In fact, I'm going to bring some of my stuff tomorrow to try and unload. Thank goodness this town has a high population of hoarders. You'll be fine. Just remember, everything must go, so no price is too low. Right, it's just... It is what your father wanted you to do. I mean, the man actually put it in his will, for heaven's sake. Okay, okay. I guess I can suffer through a couple days of strangers in my driveway. Barb gave her friend a parting hug and started off across the lawn to where her old Mercury was parked. Nancy watched her go and instantly became anxious. A few people looked her way and she managed to smile, masking her discomfort. The instructions in her father's will were peculiar, to say the least. He had made her inheritance, his home and the remainder of his estate, with portions of it bequeathed to various charities and foundations, conditional on her holding a garage sale on the weekend after his funeral. It was specific on which newspaper she was to advertise it in, which community websites to list it on, and even the hours it was to be open. She was instructed to sell the contents of her father's basement, mostly books, old records, and various obsolete electronics, the tools she didn't want or need in the garage, the contents of his closets, and the knickknacks that had adorned his study, specifically one particular item he had singled out, a black wooden box. Many of the items were of a mystical nature. Nancy's father collected books and artifacts related to witchcraft and necromancy a hobby Nancy's mother had always found disturbing. On Halloween, he would deck out the house and yard, transforming their home into the most popular trick-or-treat destination in town. Nancy's mother had passed away several years before. Her father had blamed what he considered his wife's premature death on one of the town's local celebrities, a new-age guru who owned a yoga studio and sold all types of homeopathic remedies, crystals, and candles. When Nancy's mother had been diagnosed with cancer, instead of relying on the advice of her doctors, she was convinced by the guru that becoming a vegetarian, buying an overpriced salt lamp, and meditating would cure her. It did not. Her death had devastated Nancy's father. He started a personal vendetta against the man he blamed for misleading his wife, causing her to trust the alternative therapies to the exclusion of traditional medicine, a decision that cost her her life. There was a drawn-out legal battle between the two men, with the guru ultimately winning a sizable judgment and a cease-and-desist order against Nancy's father. Failing to achieve any sort of justice in the courts, he decided to pursue a different course of action. His interest in the occult grew, 
and he devoted his time and a good deal of the money that remained after the verdict against him, finding a way to exact vengeance on his rival. He'd researched curses, voodoo dolls, spells, and other mystical methods to damage the guru's reputation and business. But Nancy's father had died without seeing his goal realized. The guru had outlived him. Nancy had always found her father's positions on his mother's decision to pursue alternative cancer treatments and his belief in the occult contradictory. It seemed to her that the New Age beliefs he blamed for her mother's death were similar to the mysticism he had become so devoted to. But all that was irrelevant now. Her father's obsession had died with him. His death was sudden and unexpected, and Nancy had no desire to pursue her father's preoccupation with exacting a price from the guru for her mother's death. She was the type of person who liked to keep to herself, which made her father's final request all the more difficult to fulfill. She stood behind the card table where she kept the cash box she had stocked with coins and small bills. Garage sales were a cash business, and, as Barb had reminded her, customers were more likely than not to haggle, even though she had tried to price everything at a ridiculously low amount. Maybe she would sell out the first day and she could cut the uncomfortable experience short. Although a lot of the items were spread out along the length of the driveway, Barb had persuaded her to set some of the smaller and more stealable bargains on a table just inside the open garage, where Nancy could keep an eye on them. A few people had perused the baubles. One woman had made an offer on a pair of bookends that Nancy accepted. As far as she knew, they were worth hundreds or even thousands of dollars, but the point of the sale was not to make money. It was to satisfy her father's last wishes. Everything must go, she reminded herself. There was that one item on the table, however, that her father had requested be sold at a specific price, and Nancy could not sell it for a penny less without breaking the terms of the will. It was a box made of a very dark wood, almost black, it was about four inches on each side and heavier than it looked. There was obviously something inside. If she shook it, she could sense that it contained something solid. There was no obvious way to open the box. There was no hinge, no latch. There were seams visible where the grain abruptly changed direction, but despite those imperfections, the surface was smooth. The price was $1,000, an extraordinarily expensive item for a garage sale, but her father's instructions had been clear on the matter. $1,000 and not a penny less. Some of the customers had been curious about the box, but when they spied the small sticker with the amount written on it, they quickly set it back in its place and moved on to more affordable items. Nancy wasn't sure what the point of trying to sell this expensive box at a garage sale was. If it was some sort of lesson her father was trying to teach her from beyond the grave, the point of it was completely lost. It was shortly after noon on the first day when she spotted him. Her father's nemesis pulled up in a Tesla Roadster, he wore dark glasses, but the obnoxious bun of gray hair atop his head and the pure white caftan he wore betrayed his identity regardless. Some of the people at the garage sale recognized him. A few were brazen enough to say hello. Nancy froze. What was he doing here? Was this one last dig at her father? The last thing she wanted was to perpetuate their feud. He wandered through the maze of tables, his hands clasped behind his back, carefully scrutinizing the items for sale as he sauntered by occasionally looking in her direction. Nancy wasn't sure if he recognized her. They had met before. He had had the audacity to make an appearance at her mother's funeral, and she had been present at her father's home when the two men had engaged in a very loud argument for which the police had been called. Eventually, he made his way to the table of knickknacks just inside the open garage. She could tell that he was interested in the box, but was trying not to make his desire known. He made a show of picking up all the items around it, looking at the price tags and then setting them down. When it came time to inspect the wooden box, once he felt its heft, his eyes widened and he unconsciously licked his lips. 
He looked at the price tag, then over at Nancy, an expression of surprise on his face. He carried the black wooden box over to where she was standing. Pardon me, I think there is a mistake on this price tag. It says $1,000, when I think you meant to put a decimal point in the middle. Shouldn't it be $10? he asked. No, that's correct, $1,000, Nancy assured him. The words came much easier than she expected. He laughed. <laughs> Surely you can't honestly believe that anyone would pay $1,000 for this box. Do you even know how to open it? No, I don't, but it will cost you $1,000 if you'd like to take it home and try. I'll tell you what, he said affectionately. I'll give you $100. Judging by the prices on the rest of the items, you are more interested in getting rid of this junk than profiting from it. He pulled a money clip out of a pocket in his caftan and made a show of peeling off a crisp new $100 bill. He placed it on the table before her. If you have nine more of those, you can take it home, Nancy said. She was starting to enjoy this interaction. All morning she had been the one acquiescing to people's lowball offers. It was nice to turn the tables on someone and doubly satisfying that it was the guru her father had hated so much. He laughed again. All right, I'll make it two hundred, but I'm afraid that's as high as I'm willing to go, he said as he laid a second hundred-dollar bill on the table. Okay, Nancy said, plucking the box out of the man's hands, much to his surprise. If that's as high as you'll go, I'm afraid I cannot sell it to you. We have some fine belts and shoes you might be interested in, she offered, knowing full well a man who wore caftans and sandals would have no interest in such items. The guru glared at Nancy, then looked down at the box now held tightly in her grasp. Look, he said, I will confess, I am very intrigued by that box, but one thousand dollars? I don't think you'll find another person willing to spend the two hundred dollars I just laid on your table. That said, he produced two more hundred dollar bills. The price is one thousand dollars, Nancy said. There's still an assortment of neckties in excellent condition available, she offered. Those might be more in your price range. The guru snatched up the bills and stormed off. Nancy was surprised to discover how much she enjoyed stymieing the guru. Perhaps that was the reason her father had insisted she demand such a high price for the box. He knew it would knock her confidence up a notch or two. Thank you, Dad, she thought to herself. It almost made the whole experience worthwhile. The guru, meanwhile, made his way down the driveway toward his car. He would take a few steps, pause, look as if he was going to turn around, but then continue on his way. He eventually made it all the way back to his convertible in fits and starts, looking over his shoulder, eyeing the other patrons, occasionally casting a glance back at Nancy. He got to the Tesla, opened the door, then slammed it shut without getting in, and instead strode directly back to the garage, a determined look on his face. Nancy had to try not to smile. All right, he said. I'll give you $600 for that box. Surely that's ten times what it's worth. Perhaps, Nancy agreed. But the price is $1,000. I'm afraid I'm quite firm on that. Have a nice day. She took the box and placed it back in the center of the assorted knickknacks on the card table. The guru stared at it, taking deep breaths, struggling to contain his obvious anger. If his clientele could see him now, they would be shocked at his lack of composure. Tell me, he said to Nancy, why are you so intransigent at the price for that box? She continued explaining the circumstances of her father's will, but then shrugged and replied, No reason. It's just a really nice box, and I'd like $1,000 for it. Seven fifty, he countered. $1,000, Nancy insisted. 800 1000 Nine. The price is $1,000, sir. Thank you for coming. The guru looked like he wanted to shout at Nancy. His face turned red, and he clenched his fists. He looked at the box, then back at Nancy. She smiled. Oh, all right, he said. 
He slammed ten $100 bills on the table. Nancy picked them up and carefully counted them, then held them up to the sun to inspect the security strip and watermark. It's yours, she proclaimed, then stashed the money into her jeans pocket rather than the cash box. The guru's demeanor instantly changed. Ha, yes, thank you, kind woman. He picked up the box and turned it over in his hands. You don't know what this is, do you? Nancy shook her head. Whatever it is, it's yours now, she said. Yes, yes it is. I am the owner, the possessor, the master of the box and everything within. If you can open it, Nancy reminded him. It was the guru's turn to smile. He held the box by opposing corners between the thumb and middle finger of his left hand, then squeezed another pair of corners with the fingers of his right hand. There was a click. A gap appeared around the center of the box. He set it down, savoring the moment. This, my child, is not just some nice-looking box. It is a soul chest. There are only a few of these known to be in existence. Legend has it that when a person gazes at the crystal within, it captures their soul, their very essence, leaving their body an empty husk. Are you sure you want to open it? Nancy asked. The guru smiled again. That is, of course, unless there is already a soul within. Then the owner of the box becomes the master of that soul and can command it to do whatever he wills. That doesn't sound very useful, Nancy remarked. I mean, what can a disembodied soul do? It's not like it's a genie and will grant you three wishes. You can command it to tell you things, reveal secrets, things like that, he replied defensively. My Alexa does that, she countered. He laughed. <laughs> you don't recognize me, do you? Oh, no, I absolutely do. You're the new age nut my father had a feud with for all those years. You're his daughter? The guru said, surprised. Yes, and I guess my father gets the last laugh, because he got you to pay $1,000 for a silly little puzzle box. Ah, we shall see who gets the last laugh. He opened it. There was a perfectly round, clear crystal inside. He stared at it, perplexed. That's odd. It's supposed to turn red when it contains a... Then his face went blank. He stood frozen in place, not even breathing. Then the crystal in the soul chest glowed red. Nancy slammed the lid shut. She heard the hidden mechanism lock it closed with a series of clicks. Then she fulfilled the other mysterious request of her father's will, to be executed if this particular situation were to arise. From a box under the cash table, she removed a second small wooden soul chest, this one made from white wood, with the same expert craftsmanship. She followed the steps the guru had performed to open it, holding it by the corners and squeezing. The box clicked and whirred, and a gap appeared around the middle. She positioned it on the cash table in place of the other one, and opened it facing the guru. The crystal sphere in this one was glowing red, but only for a moment. It dimmed, and then the guru blinked his eyes and took a breath. He looked at Nancy and smiled. Well done, my dear. You're as clever a girl as there's ever been. The phrase was familiar to Nancy. They were her favorite words of praise from... Father? she asked. The guru smiled mischievously. Yes, Nance, it is I, he said. The voice was still the guru's, but the words were definitely her father's. He was the only one who shortened her name to a single syllable like that. Nance. I don't understand, she said. It's quite simple. After I'd exhausted all the legal remedies available to me, and lost quite spectacularly, I devised a plan to take absolutely everything from this devious phony, he explained. You mean what he said about the soul chest was true? Well, I didn't hear what he said. I was in the other box. But what he likely didn't know was that the soul in an already occupied box could move into the body from which the spirit had been captured from another soul chest. 
I knew he was a notorious garage sale addict, and I was absolutely certain he couldn't pass up this one. I made it known to mutual acquaintances that I had acquired a soul chest, and that when I was ready to die, I was going to transfer myself into it. And then I did so, he said, carefully closing the box to avoid any additional inadvertent soul-sucking. What our unsuspecting friend didn't count on, however, was that I had two such chests, and in his arrogance he would assume I was inside the one I instructed you to sell for one thousand dollars. That was quite a big gamble to make, Nancy said. Yes, well, I didn't have much to lose, and now I have gained everything. I not only have his fortune, but the massive sum he extracted from me through the courts. Don't worry, you can keep the house. I don't care about the house, I'm just glad you're back, though this will take some time to get used to. Nancy confessed. Nancy's father patted his belly, then put a hand to the top of his head where his gray bun was mounted. Yes, I'll have to do a bit of working out. But first things first, I must get to a barber. Then buy some proper clothes. He pulled the caftan away from his chest and peered inside. And some underwear. He searched his pockets and found the empty money clip. Could you loan me a few dollars, my dear? He asked Nancy. Nancy took the $1,000 out of her pocket and handed it to her guru father. Thank you, Nance. I knew I could count on you, he said, and pulled Nancy into a hug. She hoped purchasing a bottle of cologne was on her father's to-do list. The combination of incense and body odor the guru emitted was quite unbearable. He pulled a key fob out of another pocket and looked up and down the street. He pressed the button and saw which car chirped back at him. Nice. I always wanted a convertible. Nancy watched as he walked happily through the tables filled with the remnants of his old life, on his way, apparently, to a brand new one. Then he stopped looking around for something. You didn't happen to already sell my golf clubs, have you? He asked. Nancy shrugged. Everything must go, she answered. Her father smiled and nodded, then got into his Tesla and drove away. Thank you for listening to Everything Must Go on the Written by Rich Hosick podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this story. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to my weekly audio stories on your favorite podcast app or download them on Audible. Give me a like or five stars and a quick review. And most importantly, share my weekly tales with your friends or anyone who enjoys audiobooks. Speaking of audiobooks, if you're a fan of the paranormal, I am currently presenting the audio version of my novel, Near Death, A Rainy Day Investigation, that I co-wrote with my television writing partner, Arnold Rudnick, and our collaborator, parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach, on this very podcast. New chapters are posted weekly. And if you're looking for other original story podcasts, check out As Read By Me at, not surprisingly, as read by me.com. They have an eclectic mix of fiction, poetry, and essays that are sure to keep you entertained, all read by the authors. You can find out more about me at richhosick.com, follow me on Twitter at richhosick, on Facebook at written by richhosick, and don't forget to check out my books on Amazon and follow me there to make sure you get notified of my new releases. Thanks again, and all the very best. <laughs>